my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 552. Welcome in. Happy Monday. Uh, I want to be very clear. I, I, I try to be, uh, how do I say this? I want to be better at communicating than I ever have been before in the past. And so I want to tell you now, uh, I'm only doing two episodes this week. There's going to be no episode on Thursday or Friday, assuming there's no crazy breaking news. Like if, God forbid, Tom Brady dies or the Seattle team gets, I, I can't even imagine what would necessitate doing like an emergency episode, but assuming there's no crazy emergency reason to do an episode Thursday or Friday, I am not going to be recording an episode because I want to work on my NFL predictions. I worked on them a lot this weekend, and in order to get them done in time for next Monday, I just know I'm going to have to take some time off and really focus on them. So uh, shows today, tomorrow, I don't think we'll do one Thursday, Friday. If there's some kind of emergency, we'll do one Friday, but don't expect one on Thursday or Friday. Otherwise, we'll see you next Monday. Uh, 552, welcome in. The news today I want to start with is that Bill's running back and Heem Hines got hurt on a jet ski. He's got a knee injury. Um, it's an ACL injury, reportedly. Naheem Hines is out for the year. He's kind of the scat back, running back in Buffalo. He's their number one return guy. He's a guy who catches the ball really well out of the backfield. It's a, it's a blow to Buffalo, a team that I think got, how do I say this? I don't think Buffalo got better this offseason. And the division around them got way better. The Jets are better. Miami's going to be healthier and better. They got a better defensive coordinator. The Patriots got a finally a real offensive coordinator is going to help them. I think every team around the Bills and their division got better. I don't think the Bills did get better. And now they lost their receiving running back return guy, Naheem Hines. It's not looking great if you're a Bills fan. I am not confident in the Bills' ability to go chase the Super Bowl this year. Uh, but we'll see. Time will tell. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I just I am I'm worried about the Bills' season this year. Their expectations are super high. And the team is looking very, eh, all right. I mean, they're still great. I don't want to downplay Buffalo. Like, they're going to dominate a lot of people. They're going to win a lot of games. They're going to be tough to beat. But certainly, the division got better. And certainly, I don't know. Bills fans, write in. I'd love to hear from you guys. What do you think made your team way better this offseason? I don't see any monumental changes that make me go, oh, yeah, the Bills, Super Bowl favorite. Absolutely. They weren't last year, and why are they now this year? By the way, on the Naheem, the Naheem Hines thing, the New York Post is calling it a freak jet ski accident. I actually take a bit of umbrage with the term freak accident here. If you're an NFL player, stay off a jet ski. Stay off of an ATV. I, when I was playing college football, my dad was like, hey, do not ride an ATV. If that thing flips over and you lose your leg, you're, you're done. Just wait till you're done with football. And if you need your body for your job... As I used to do HVAC, right? When I was working in HVAC, I'm like, hey, I, I probably got to take care of my hands. I, I, I need my hands for my job and I need my feet to walk around. I don't mean to be insensitive, but when I did HVAC, there was stuff I didn't do because I knew, hey, I can't afford to miss a paycheck. And if I get hurt doing something dumb and I can't work, it's going to really, really impact me negatively. So I don't mean to be insensitive, but I, I am surprised. Like, what is an NFL player doing on a jet ski? This close before the season, I, man, it's just, it's a bad idea to me. And I, I think, um, I, I, I don't mean to criticize it, but you have to have self-awareness and realize your body is the most important thing if you're a football player or any kind of athlete. You got to take care of it. You got to 
with your training, with the foods you eat, but also with the activities you do. You got to be really careful and cautious, man. I don't mean live in a bubble, but there are things you got to say no to when you're when you're an athlete. And uh, Naheem Hines' freak jet ski accident, but I don't know that it's just a jet ski accident, which probably should never have happened. So I don't want to hate on the guy. It's really sad he's out for the year. I like him a lot as a player, um, but it's it's a message to other NFL players and other athletes around um, the world and around America. Hey, yeah, guys, be careful. Be be really really smart when you if you need your body for your job, yeah you, you can't do dumb stuff with your body. Again, I, when I would cut with a knife, um, like cooking and stuff, I'm like, hey, I better be careful because if I cut my hand too bad, um, I, I can't do my job. So like, you just have to be aware of what your body requires from you and, and take care of your body and be smart with yourself. And I don't know that I've never been on a jet ski. I think they look really fun. Um, but there also are lots of ways for things to go wrong when you're boating. And uh, I just would encourage other athletes to look at Naheem Hines and go, let's uh, let's be smart with ourselves, you know, heading into the season. And don't do dumb stuff on your days off and uh, take care of yourself and, and be very, very cautious. Because if you get hurt, you're going to miss out on a lot of money and a lot of opportunities and maybe even miss your season, which looks like Naheem Hines is going to um, the Detroit Lions, another injury story. The Lions had a really, really unfortunate injury. Safety, C.J. Gardner-Johnson uh, appears to have hurt his knee. It was a non-contact knee injury. To me, that sounds like an ACL. It's not great to get carted off the field. Uh, we're at, at, at time of recording right now, we're still waiting on news and MRI to see what happened there. Um, but it's very likely he's going to miss a lot of time, if not the entire year. It's pretty bad news when a guy doesn't get touched, is holding his knee on the field and gets carted off. You're like, it doesn't happen often when it's something really horrible or when it's really good, I mean, and it's not going to be a big problem. So, um, again, as of right now, we don't officially know what happened to C.J. Gardner-Johnson. We're waiting on medical, but sounds like uh, the Lions' safety that they added this offseason, who I was excited when they signed him, he's going to probably miss a year with a torn ACL. that's unconfirmed. That's my speculation. But again, when a guy gets carted off holding his knee after not getting touched, that's a really big red flag. Um, This guy was great, man. He helped Philly reach the Super Bowl last year. He had six interceptions. I I was so excited, man. Like the Lions are, I'm not a Lions fan at all. Uh, I don't have a favorite team in the NFL. But I I really want to see the Lions do well and win and be awesome. And this adding him this offseason was a big mover. I'm like, oh, sweet. They got an awesome defender. It's going to be great. It made their team a little bit better. And wow, wow, wow. He's not going to play probably. Let me, let me look it up. I want to see. It's been about 30 minutes since I saw the news. So let me just make sure there's no update. CJ Gardner Johnson. I would hate for this to come out. And we, we already know by now uh, what went on. CJ Gardner Johnson news. Yeah, we're still waiting on medical. It was, it, it, we'll just see. But, um, I mean, people are already writing articles about the three players the Lions could trade to replace him. So, seems like year is over. That's really sad. I really like him as a player. Um, and for Lions fans, I'm very sorry. Like, I I, I want to be clear. I think people listened to my conversation with uh, Marcus Whitman the other day and, and believed that I walked away not believing in the Lions. Like, Marcus made this interesting point that, you know, the people, the, the positions they invested in in the draft are the least valuable positions in the NFL, but... Um, I, I think the Lions are awesome, man. I, I am hoping to see them go from a team last year that was hard to beat to a team that's a front runner and wins a lot of games. But if you ask me, the division in the, the NFC North is going to come down to 
Minnesota or Detroit. They're the two best teams there. Um, I love Marcus. He's got this whole reason. I actually wrote it down somewhere. I'll probably read it on the show tomorrow. Uh, his lists of why he believes in the Packers. It was sad during that interview with Marcus. His internet cut out for like, I don't know, two minutes. And it, it from my end, it looked like the recording we kept going, but we lost that part of the interview. And it was actually the one point where he talked about why he believes the Packers are really good and have a shot to win that division. I don't agree with him, but I'll read his point of view tomorrow on the show. Um, but to me, I, I think the NFC North is going to come down to Minnesota or Detroit. I'm really excited about them. But losing a really good defender, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, it just hurts their standing. It hurts their um, the excitement, I guess, of, of what they could do as a team and their pursuit of making the playoffs and winning their division. So, uh, unfortunately, Detroit lost a really good player very early in training camp. Now, unlike Naheem Hines, don't mean to hate on the guy, but he got hurt on the field. He got hurt, he got hurt playing football, doing the thing uh, he's employed to do. That's sad and really unfortunate, but I think it's even worse when a guy like Naheem Hines gets hurt doing a non-football-related thing. You're like, oh, guys, what are we doing? Again, be really smart with your bodies, please. Um, Now, the three rookie quarterbacks picked in the top five of the 2023 NFL Draft have all signed their rookie contracts. They fell all like dominoes. I think everyone is waiting for Bryce Young, the number one pick in Carolina, to kind of set the market, and then after that, everyone fell in order just a little bit beneath him monetarily. Um, so the number one pick in Carolina, Bryce Young, signed a four-year, $37.95 million deal, fully guaranteed with a $24.6 million signing bonus. So $37.95, $24.6 million signing bonus. Um, that's the number one pick. The number two pick, C.J. Stroud in Houston, signed a, a four-year deal, worth $36.3 million, fully guaranteed, with a $23.3 million signing bonus. Great for him. Uh, no state income tax in Texas, by the way. So, And if you're an athlete, Tennessee, Washington, Texas, Florida, great places to play sports because there is no state income tax, uh, unlike many other states. Some of them will gouge you. Uh, the number four overall pick in Indy, Anthony Richardson signed a four-year $33.99 million deal, fully guaranteed, $21.72 million signing bonus. I would imagine these guys are going to take the money they got from their signing bonus immediately. Uh, they're going to buy a house, make sure their car situation is sold, deal with whatever little stuff you got to do, whether it's take care of your parents or whatever you got to do, spend a little bit of money, 5 to 8 to $10 million, whatever it is, and then put all the rest of the money left over after you buy your necessities Uh, or your quality of life stuff, and then put it in like a, I don't know what, I don't know if it's a Roth IRA. I I think that's what I would do, but I I don't know that, I think with more money, you put it in actually a different kind of fund, but you put it in whatever kind of fund is going to give you big returns on your money by getting a a massive bonus early. It allows you to put away that money now, so it starts accruing in, you know, returns earlier than later. Uh, You have someone manage it. And it's interesting, everyone copied Bryce Young. Money guaranteed, Big signing bonus, just a little bit less uh, when it comes to the numbers because they were drafted after Bryce Young, and it's hard to get more than Bryce Young when you were drafted after him and he's viewed as a better player. But um, they just they fell like dominoes. If you've been following these rookie quarterbacks and waiting to see when they signed their deals, um, once Bryce Young hit, everyone else just fell right in line underneath him, and um, I find that interesting and, and noteworthy. Uh, hey, reminder, today is Monday... July 24th. We are, what is it, two weeks away? I think so. 
We are two weeks away from Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks is going to be Tuesday, August 8th. That is when episode one with Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets comes out. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Going to cover it heavily on the show. Um, there's nothing more to say here. I just, I'm really excited for Hard Knocks. I think it's going to be amazing. And I am very, very excited to follow along with what goes on in New York. Uh, I, I really, I guess it's New Jersey, technically. I think that's where their practice facility is. Um, but man, I, 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 I don't know how much we're going to see Aaron Rodgers. He'll certainly be in the show. He's the quarterback. You have to have him on. Uh, remember, they do often on Hard Knocks follow the guys who are at risk of maybe not making the roster and the guys who are, you know, they're the, the people whose playing time during the preseason really does matter. The backups are really the focus of Hard Knocks. But regardless, I want to see Aaron Rodgers give a couple quotes and talk about his new team. And um, they're certainly going to cover that. And I'll take anything, any little insight I can get into Aaron Rodgers, I will take. I think it'd be really interesting and very, very fun. Um, now, it is cool uniform announcement season in the NFL. Uh, but a lot, a lot of stuff has happened. Like people, for example, um, the Cleveland Browns announced new uniforms and a new logo and like all white and with white helmets. And it's, it's cool, I guess. But to me, the three, you know, cool uniforms that got announced in the last couple of weeks that I find really interesting are one, Seattle. The Seattle Seahawks have a light blue throwback uniform with gray helmets, like this silver shiny helmet, the, the, the gray pant or the, the light gray silver pants. It's a throwback to their old uniforms. I never got to see them used in real life, but I've used them in Madden. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to see that uniform live and in person for the first time in my life on modern players. It's going to be awesome and very, very cool. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts have a alternate all blue uniform, like a dark shade of blue with black helmets. They call it Indiana Knights. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, the Colts are going to be a bad football team, I think, this year. We'll see. I, I hope not. I hope I'm wrong, but... They're certainly not a favorite to win the Super Bowl or anything. But I'd love to watch him in a big game this year wearing that uniform. I'm excited for that. I think it's going to be awesome. And then by far, by far, my favorite other I, I love the Patriots throwback uniform. That the red with the white. Like it looks so cool. There's that game. Tom Brady and Randy Moss went off for like a bunch of yards back in the day in the, with the old Patriots in that really cool alternate uniform. I love that one. But my favorite alternate uniform that's been announced recently in the NFL uh, is actually the Tennessee Titans. They've got these Houston Oilers throwback uniforms, which is, to me, it's cool because it's a throwback to what they actually used to be. Remember, the Houston Oilers moved from Houston to Tennessee and became the Tennessee Titans. That's the legacy that franchise goes back to. They used to be in Houston under a different name. And they're going to wear those jerseys and as an homage to the old team. I, I believe Warren Moon wore that jersey. It's just exciting to me. And I like the history of it. I like all that stuff. And we've seen teams do that before. I think the the Washington football team has some really cool alternate uniforms that are throwbacks to an old old jersey. Same with people hated it, the striped Steelers one, but I I, I liked it. Uh, the Green Bay Packers had one that they wore that was like this weird. It was like yellow and kind of purpley. It was very weird, but I love it. I think it was awesome. But this Houston Oilers throwback uniform is by far my favorite alternate uniform we've seen announced so far in the early NFL season. And, uh, dude, I cannot wait to see it worn out loud. Um, now I want to, you can skip ahead if you want. I'm going to talk more about NFL running backs. It's kind of the, the conversation that's been dominating this show recently is what's been going on with NFL running backs and the decline of the position. I don't imagine I'm going to cover way more on the show. Although I feel like I keep saying that. 
So I'm not, I don't, I don't, I reserve the right to talk about it more if we want to, if there is more news, but I think this will probably be the end of it. We'll cover it one last time. We will, I'll say how I feel and then we'll leave it for maybe even a couple of years until we have an update and we know what's going on. I mean, frankly, we're going to have to talk about it around week one, depending whether or not Saquon Barkley is going to play. Um, but to me, um, I have something that I think is bad news if you're a running back and I mean no offense to players. Although, hold on, there's something in my, this stupid hair is just like in my face. Um, sorry. It was like, this hair was like hanging in my eyes and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't talk while this is happening. Okay. Um, if you're an NFL team, I, I think paying a running back just doesn't make any sense. Um, Paying a running back big money. You know, it was reported that Saquon Barkley wanted $16 million a year. And I, I, I don't see that making any financial sense for an NFL team. You know, last year, Atlanta's rookie running back, Tyler Algier, a fifth-round pick out of BYU, ran for over 1,000 yards rushing. His salary cap hit last year was less than $800,000. When you can pay a running back less than $800,000 to run for 1,000 yards, why would you pay Saquon $16 million? Now, to me, that's the, what, you know, Saquon's one end of the spectrum, a guy getting paid a lot. Tyler Algier is the other end of the spectrum, a guy getting grossly underpaid, getting used a ton, then immediately getting replaced by B. John Robinson, who was drafted in the first round by Atlanta. They used him for everything they could, and then they discarded him, right? I don't like what happened to Tyler Algier. And I, I, it's unfortunate. I don't think he's ever going to get paid for what the, the service he gave to Atlanta last year. But from an NFL team's perspective, that's a great value. Why would you pay a running back when you can pay them pennies and get a thousand yards out of them? That's, that's just a tremendous financial value. Again, the rumor is Saquon wants sixteen million dollars a year. The Lions running back, the rookie running back Jameer Gibbs, signed a contract that's over the course of four years going to pay him just over seventeen million dollars. Why would you pay Saquon 16 when you can draft Jameer Gibbs and pay him 17 over a four-year span? When, when you can draft a running back, pay him so little, and get so much from them, why would you ever pay an older running back and give them a second contract? I mean, even if Saquon Barkley holds out and doesn't show up and doesn't play week one, there are so many possibilities of players the Giants could sign to play running back for their football team. First of all, they just signed James Robinson, running back who in 2020 ran for over 1,000 yards as an undrafted free agent on a bad football team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? It seems like anyone can run for 1,000 yards. Not actually true, but my point is you don't need to pay Saquon that much money to get high production from him. And if Saquon doesn't show up, you could just sign a veteran running back like Dalvin Cook, who... I don't think Dalvin Cook would be cheap. I think he wants to get paid, but certainly it'd be cheaper than what Saquon Barkley was asking for. And last year, Saquon Barkley ran for 1,300 yards, was fourth in rushing. Dalvin Cook was sixth in rushing last year, ran for 1,100 yards, and isn't even on an NFL team. He's available. I just think Saquon has no leverage in negotiations. He's not going to get what he wants. And, you know, Kareem Hunt is available. Leonard Fournette is available. Here's how this is going to play out. Teams have no incentive to pay running backs ever again. Unless something changes, the way the system is set up makes a change, then we can see that happen. But right now, 
Bijan Robinson's going to play four to five years in Atlanta. Probably run for a thousand yards four out of the five years, if not all five years. Do great. Be awesome. Maybe he'll get hurt in that span. Maybe not. He's going to get used as much as humanly possible, that Atlanta, as much as Atlanta can get out of him, they're going to do. And then in four to five years, after his contract is over, he's probably not going to get paid again. Atlanta's going to replace him with a younger, cheaper option at the running back position. That's sad, but that's true. And in the coming years, all the best athletes are just going to stop playing running back. If you're a young guy in high school watching what's happened to the NFL pay scale, how much receivers are getting paid compared to how much a running back's getting paid, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm really good with the football in my hands. How about I play receiver? I can catch a little bit. How about, I, how about I train a little more on running routes and get better at that craft and maybe focus less on my cuts and less on playing running back? Any really great athlete is going to shift over, over to receiver. That's just where the money is. That's where a better lifestyle is. You get hit less. It's better for everybody. And we're going to see, I think as time goes on, running back talent diminish slowly over time. Guys are going to learn how to run routes or maybe learn to throw the football or read a defense. I mean, right now we're already seeing the best athlete on any high school football team tends to be the quarterback now. Like, what Anthony Richardson is the, an unbelievable athlete, and, and some coach at some point in his development said, we should put a football in this guy's hands. Like, can you, like imagine him, teach him how to throw and read a defense, and then his threat is incredible. It started with Michael Vick, and then ever since then, high school and, and coaches early on in a player's development have said, Maybe we shouldn't have the really unathletic guy. Yeah, he can throw, but maybe we should put the most athletic guy playing quarterback and teach him how to throw and, and read a defense, and we've seen things shift. We're going to see the same thing with running back. People are going to go, hey, I, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm playing running back. I should go catch the football. I should go change positions. I'm just not going to have a good future playing running back. And it's a... And even though running back talent's going to diminish, you know, we're going to see less and less really high-level playmakers, I believe, playing running back. They're going to switch to receiver, do other stuff. There will always be running backs who are, you know, there's always going to be someone willing to take, you know, about a million dollars a year to run the football in the NFL. That's maybe an uncomfortable reality for some, but that's still life-changing money. Like, I do a lot of things for a million dollars, man. I I do a lot of things for $800,000. Do you know how much my life would change trajectory-wise, if someone gave me $800,000. So the NFL's not going to run out of running backs. People are always going to be willing to take that job and do that job. But again, I go back to there is no incentive to pay a running back like Saquon Barkley when there's just so much supply out there that they are so highly replaceable. You you look at the Dolphins' running back room. I'm not going to make any claim that the Dolphins have a great set of running backs here in the NFL. And I don't even know if they're going to be a great rushing football team. They're going to throw the ball like a bazillion times the same way they did last year in Miami. But the Dolphins running back room, they're paying about $6 million for four total running backs. They're paying Devin A-Chain, a cap hit of less than a million dollars this fall. Jeff Wilson Jr.'s cap hit is about $2.2 million. Raheem Mostert is a cap hit of about $2.1 million. And then Miles Gaskin's cap hit is about $900,000, less than a million dollars. So, $6 $6 million total is what Miami's got on the salary cap for their four running backs. They've got four guys instead of one. They're paying $10 million less than what Saquon Barkley wanted. Oh, and the injury risk is spread out over four people. I don't think the Dolphins are going to have an amazing dynamic running game. But they're going to run the ball okay, and they're going to throw the ball really well. They're going to have a high-powered offense. They're going to be great, and they're going to pay the running backs basically nothing. They can get away with it. 
I don't think the Dolphins are going to have some hamstrung offense that can't move the football this year. Travis Etienne was top 10 in rushing last year, ran for 1,125 yards. He's on a rookie deal. This fall, Travis Etienne's making $3.5 million. That's the, sorry, that's the cap hit. That's what, how much he's counting against the salary cap in Jacksonville. Again, nobody's going to pay a quarterback $16 million when you can get other players producing at a high level for next to nothing. Tyler Algier is almost criminal, dude. He was an, an, a less than $800,000 hit against the salary cap in Atlanta and ran for over 1,000 yards. Saquon can do other stuff. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a threat in many ways, but um, I, I just do not see any kind of reality where he gets the money he wants. And, I mean, it's too late now. We're going to have to wait to see next offseason when they renegotiate. But I, I honestly wonder, and I think um, – Really, I mean, the math adds up that Saquon Barkley is going to make more money on the franchise tag than he was offered, and next year he'll make he'll make like 10.09 this year, I think 12.1 next year on the, the franchise tag. That means Saquon's going to make about $22 million in two years. That's better than he probably would have got contract-wise if he gets franchise tagged two years in a row. Um, but it's also possible that maybe Saquon, the best deal he was ever going to get was the one he got offered going into the year with less guaranteed money but at some numbers he wanted. And uh, I think for Saquon Barkley's sake, he's best to just show up week one, have an amazing year this year. He probably won't get the long-term contract he wants, and then he'll get franchise tagged again. And then you walk away realizing, hey, I made $22 million in two years to be running back in the NFL. That's better than most people get. And um, it's it's a weird situation, and I, I find it fascinating with Saquon Barkley. So, I don't know. I, I don't know that we'll cover the running back situation too much the rest of the year. I don't see much more happening that we need to talk about until week one when we do or do not see Saquon Barkley play, probably. Uh, maybe Dalvin Cook will go somewhere. That's some worth noteworthy stuff. But for the most part, I think the running back conversation now has been officially beat to death by me on this show, and I don't see us talking about it too much more. But I wanted to say that. You know, I, I'm just, I'm not saying I like it. But I, I do need to say I understand why teams don't want to pay running backs. It just doesn't make financial sense from a value proposition. Why would you pay a guy a ton of money when you can get really high-level production from players for way less? It just financially doesn't make any sense. So that's my two cents. I love you guys. Uh, I want to shift gears now to something I saw this weekend that it blew my mind. It was – let's say this. I don't watch soccer very often. I'm not <laughs> I'm not a big soccer guy. Um I got a lot of British people in my life. They love soccer. And so I watch with them often, but it's usually not very entertaining for me. It's just not a sport I'm super into. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. But Messi, Lionel Messi made his debut for his uh, MLS team, Inter-Miami, this weekend. And in stoppage time, he hit the game-winning free kick. It was a beautiful kick. It was amazing off the left side of the goal. Uh, I don't know a lot about soccer, but I know that's a big moment. To see... Lionel Messi, in his first game with Miami, had the game-winning kick in that moment. Like, I don't know, man. I, I watched it. I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. I understand what's happening here. Uh, and it's something I very rarely am able to say when it comes to soccer. And the one thing I want to say, even for people that are not soccer fans, I want to talk about the contract and the way that Messi ended up in Miami. Because that's what I think is most fascinating here is that this... 36-year-old superstar, at the end of his career for sure, but still a superstar, Lionel Messi, a guy who just won a World Cup, 
ended up joining the MLS and, and made a very intentional move to go to Miami. I think the way he ended up in Miami is really fascinating. So I've never talked about this on the show. I want to mention it here. Lionel Messi was offered literally over a billion dollars to go play soccer in Saudi Arabia. It was like $1.6 billion. Not million, but a billion dollars. That's how big soccer is. It's a global market. It's massive. Stars make so much money in soccer. It's unbelievable. But I've never seen a contract like that for anybody. And Saudi Arabia really wanted Lionel Messi in their league playing soccer there. And part of the offer as well was also he was going to get paid to promote Saudi Arabia and, you know, talk about them on social media, go on vacations and show how great it can be, you know, for his European audience and his his market in South America saying, oh, look, you can come visit Saudi Arabia and have a great vacation. It's vacation. It's amazing. They wanted to use Lionel Messi to promote their country and, and bring in more tourism dollars, basically. And instead of taking the literally over a billion dollar offer in Saudi Arabia, he chose to play in Miami instead. Miami pays him around $60 million a year, nowhere near a billion if you're doing the math. Uh, and they gave him ownership stake in the Inter-Miami football team. By the way, he was recruited by David Beckham, who's a 30% owner of Inter-Miami's MLS team. And also on top of that, to get Messi to come to the MLS in general, He's getting a cut of the money from the MLS subscriptions on Apple. The best way to watch Major League Soccer in America, and I think across the globe, is to use your Apple TV subscription. They've got a unique thing with Apple where you can watch all the MLS games. And if you're hearing about that for the first time, congratulations, just like I learned that for the first time. I've never watched very much, you know, I've never used that subscription to watch MLS games. I don't even know if it's actually active until now. I think it just started for all I know. I know nothing about it. But I know that's kind of like NFL League Pass. If you want to watch soccer, Major League Soccer, this is the best way to do it to get all access and watch everything. And if you want to watch Messi, the Apple subscription is the best way to do that. And I think it's so unique the way that Inter Miami and the MLS in general recruited a superstar player, Lionel Messi, to their league by giving the player, you know, great money, $60 million a year is not nothing. But also giving him ownership in his team, which is, that's unheard of. That doesn't really happen. And a ton of potential revenue with a percentage of the revenue from the Apple subscriptions to the MLS. I don't know what it's called, League Pass or whatever it is. And it's just a really interesting way things are done to try to, they're trying to boost the MLS and bring a great player into the league, which is going to help. It got me to pay attention. I don't, I don't watch Major League Soccer at all. And this even got me to pay attention. A guy who doesn't really like soccer, but I'm interested. Mess is a superstar. I'll see what happens. They had this crazy moment that you couldn't have scripted any better if you did it with him kicking, you know, kicking a goal at the very end to win. And the way it all went down was they said, we're going to give this player a lot of incentive. We're going to give him ownership in the team, a ton of money, and a exponential revenue amount with the percentage of the... Revenue from Apple subscriptions where the better Messi does and the more eyeballs he draws to the league, the more he's going to get paid. It's very cool to me. And uh, I love it, man. So shout out to Messi. I would love to. This is I, I'm sharing it with you uh, as someone who just learned this information. And I don't mean to be unprofessional, but I, I'm not going to pretend I know the most about soccer. I really I really don't. And I understand I'm also talking to a mostly football audience. Right. We're we're not soccer people here. We're, we're football people. But if you do know about Messi, feel free to write in on Patreon and let me know. Because I'm, I'm learning about how this all works and what's going down. And I, I find it 
to me, it's unprecedented. The way that he's getting paid, the amount of money he could potentially make if it goes really well is so fascinating to me. The fact that he was offered $1.6 billion and didn't take that, I think part of that's because he didn't want to live in Saudi Arabia and promote Saudi Arabia. But still, man, it's it's a really insane thing that went down. And um, I just want to invite feedback from the audience. If, if you know more about this topic than I do, feel free to inform me. Because I just find it, I like learning about this stuff. It's it's peripheral to the show normally. We don't, we don't cover soccer here. I'm a football show. I know football really well and contracts and all that stuff. I don't know a lot about Major League Soccer or really any soccer. I love Premier League occasionally when I watch it. I can tell the difference. It is way better in soccer. Football, as they call it <laughs> in Europe. Um, but I, I want to invite feedback here. If you have thoughts or feedback or, or anything about Messi going to Inter Miami, um, I'd love to learn more. And so I, I don't know I, I share from a, a a point of curiosity, right? I'm like, ah, this is a it's like a little bubbling story over there with Messi in Miami. I, I find it fascinating, and uh, feel free to write in about it because I would love feedback and love to learn something about it. I don't know. Is that weird? Like, I, I feel like my job is to be an expert, um, but I also. I would be totally lying to you if I said I'm an expert about soccer. I'm just, I'm just not. But it's a sports story on a sports show. I find it really fascinating and interesting, and uh, I'm just curious about it. I, I like, uh, I don't know, I hope that's genuine and people appreciate that and don't find that off-putting for some reason. Anyway, um, it's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show, where I read questions from the audience on Patreon. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. Please do support the show. It's a big deal. It really, it literally pays my rent. Uh, dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on the show. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. Again, this keeps the lights on. This makes the show happen. So I really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and pick the top couple to read on the show. So Carter starts us off today. Carter says this. Pick your dream coaching staff. Head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. It can be three head coaches. It can be an actual defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator. You choose all three. No budget. What is my dream coaching staff in the NFL for these three positions? I would make my defensive coordinator Bill Belichick. I know that's interesting. Not my head coach, but I would want the best defensive coach in the NFL coaching my defense. That's Bill Belichick. My offensive coordinator would be Andy Reid, the best offensive coach coaching my offense. I think that's, you could have, can you imagine a team with Bill Belichick coaching the defense? And not worrying at all about the offense, giving it entirely to Andy Reid. What would happen? It'd be unbelievable. I, I honestly makes me wish Bill Belichick would get fired in New England simply for the fact that I'd love to see him. He'll never go back. He'll never be a defensive coordinator. But I, I would give anything to watch Andy Reid run an offense and Bill Belichick run the defense on the same football team. They would be, I think, unbeatable. It would be amazing and so much fun. Now, again, Bill, Bill Belichick runs the team. He's the head coach. He's the general manager. He's never going to go backwards and give up less control and not be the general manager and also not be the head coach. But I would love to see that. And then in this dream hypothetical scenario, my head coach would actually be Pete Carroll. People think I don't like Pete Carroll. I understand why people think that I've been critical of him in the past. But, you know, I want the best head coach running the offense, uh, the best, you know, Andy Reid, the best offensive coach running the offense, 
Bill Belichick, the best defensive coach running the defense, and then Pete Carroll, the best motivator in football, the best culture guy in football, running my entire team and overseeing what's going on. He can delegate the offense, Andy Reid, the defense of Bill Belichick, submit notes to both, and then his job is to be the figurehead and to talk to everybody, encourage everybody, build a culture of winning that I think he's done so well through his entire career as a head coach. I mean, I know people that have played for Bill, for Pete Carroll. They absolutely loved him. They loved it. They loved playing for him. He creates a great environment to work in, and that's my dream coaching staff. Pete Carroll head coach, offensive coordinator Andy Reid, and then Bill Belichick as my defensive coordinator. Uh, now, I want to share an alternate answer, though, because I those are all pretty old guys. They're all like the oldest coaches in the NFL, basically. What about the younger generation? Who would I, how would I build a, a coaching staff with the younger generation? And it's funny because it basically ends up being, um, in fact, for, for a while, it was basically just the 49ers team that went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago because my offensive coordinator would be Kyle Shanahan, a, a, an offensive coach who has just so frequently done really well with very mid-level, lower-level quarterbacks. He's won so much with Jimmy Garoppolo. Are you kidding me? I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is horrible. I I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is a Super Bowl good. I don't, I, I don't, and he got there. And Kyle Shanahan found a way to win with Jimmy Garoppolo. He made Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, come out of nowhere and play at a high level and get them really close to a Super Bowl again. That, to me, shows how great of an offensive coach Kyle Shanahan is. Best year of Matt Ryan's career? Playing for Kyle Shanahan. Kirk Cousins looking amazing in Washington? Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan's an amazing coach. He'd be my offensive coordinator. I almost made D'Amico Ryans my my defensive coordinator, which would have been basically, again, that 49er staff, right? It would have been hilarious. However, uh, I actually ended up going with Mike Vrabel. I wanted a former player. Another consideration for defensive coordinator was Robert Sala when it comes to having the younger generation. Um, But I want a former player. I think players like playing for former players. And Mike Vrabel... The same way that Kyle Shanahan has done really well with mid-level quarterbacks and won, I think, exceeded their, um, he's won more than he probably should have. Mike Vrabel, what he's done with the defense in Tennessee is, I respect it so much. I mean, Patrick Mahomes in that show, quarterback, calls him the most underrated defense in the NFL, and he challenges Patrick Mahomes with players that probably are, I don't know, it's just, I think he gets the most out of his defense every single year. Whatever they got, he finds a way to maximize their potential. And I really admire Mike Vrabel as a defensive coach. He's just a, he's a genius, man. And I, I again, he's a defensive head coach and I, I really root for him though. I want to see him win. And I really admire what he's done with every year taking the group in Tennessee and getting the very best out of him, out of that group. And so Mike Vrabel would be my defensive coordinator. Now my head coach, again, I've, I've made it very clear. Defensive coordinators running the defense. Offensive coach, offensive coordinators running the offense. The head coach is someone who I think is more of an overseer who delegates to the other people underneath him, which is not how the NFL works, but that's how I would build a team if I had unlimited money and could hire literally anyone and handpick everybody. Nothing ever works that way for real in the NFL. This is fake stuff. I'm building a fake team. But my head coach would be Mike McDaniel because he is my favorite personality in the NFL. I love the dude. I think he creates a fun culture. He, he believes in his players. Um... He's also a really good offensive coach. I think he's he's borderline genius in his own right. But having Shanahan run the offense, Mike Vrabel run the defense, Mike McDaniel's crazy young energy overseeing everything, 
Tell me that doesn't sound like a really fun football team to watch. I would kill to see that. And uh, yeah, that's my my older generation, Belichick defensive coordinator, Andy Reid offensive coordinator, Pete Carroll's head coach. And my younger generation would be Mike McDaniel as head coach. <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd, be a, it'd be amazing, dude. I would love it. Mike Vrabel running that defense, just getting the most out of his players. And then Kyle Shanahan, the offensive wizard um, who could win no matter who your quarterback is, apparently. I'm pretty sure if Sam Darnold ends up playing for the 49ers this year, um, Sam Darnold will look really, really good because over and over again, I've seen quarterbacks go play for Shanahan and play the best football of their entire career. So, yeah, that's that's my fun hypothetical. Thank you, Carter. That was a great question. That's stuff that – this is why I love Ask Zach this segment of the show is – it sends me off in directions I would have never gone on in my own. We're, we're sharing ideas, and it's just such a blast to me to do this. Um, question number two is from Michael. Michael says, what it do, Zach? What it do? I, I like that, but it's also a question. It's interesting. You're like, what it do? Anyway, he continues. What are your thoughts on the Giants signing James Robinson? He showed a ton of promise in Jacksonville. I think if Saquon plays between him, Robinson, and Gray, they could have a stacked run game. Um, I think it's a sneaky good move to sign James Robinson. It is interesting. James Robinson was signed by the Patriots in March and then really didn't make it anywhere. They they cut him very quickly. I don't know if it's because they're happy with Ramon Jerry Stevenson. Stevenson, they don't need him. Um, but it was fascinating. James Robinson felt like a very Patriots guy, a guy who would fit in very well in New England. And they got rid of him very quickly. He didn't even make it to the season, which is, that's kind of uncalled. It, it's Unheard of. I've never, I never really, it's very rare to see a player signed in March and then by July he's on a different football team because he got cut and then signed. You're like, huh, that's weird. So something happened in New England. I have no idea what it was. Uh, from everything I know about James Robinson, he works really hard. He's a team guy. He ran for over a thousand yards as an undrafted free agent in 2020. I don't know if Belichick just said our running back room is full. We don't need you. Maybe you don't fit in scheme wise. I, I have no idea. I don't know why I didn't work in New England, but, um, Regardless of who the running back is, I mean, they've got a pretty good running back room. Brita, Gray, Saquon, if he plays, James Robinson. There's a lot of good running backs in New York. Whether Saquon Barkley plays or not, I believe the Giants are going to run the ball really well. They just got great play design. They've got good blocking. Brian Dable's a really good coach. And I ask this question, how valuable really is a running back to your running game? I think running backs... You're measured by your ability to make people miss in open space. And when you get to the second level, can you break away and use your speed to run down the sideline and get past defenders? And can you make people miss in, open, in the open field? But when it comes to just generally running the football, the the first half of a run, a really long touchdown run, for example, you run for 50 yards. The first 10 to 15 yards are something that a lot of running backs can do, which is you read your blocks accurately, you follow your really good blocking and you get 10 yards. Then after 10 to 15 yards, then the true greatness comes where can you break away? Can you use your speed, make someone miss and run, make a huge cut to run for a touchdown? But the first half of a run, a, a big run in the NFL is something that I think a lot of guys interchangeably can do, which is can you follow your blockers and be patient and smart and get good blocking from the people in front of you? A really great running back like Saquon Barkley without good offensive linemen is useless and, and borderline uh, a waste. So I don't know. I, I think the Giants are going to run the football regardless of whether Saquon Barkley plays or not. They're going to be a good running football team because they've got good play design, good coaching, and good linemen. And that, that's just way more important, I think, than a running back who can take – a running back like Saquon Barkley is going to have maybe more big plays, make people miss in space, catch a ball in the backfield, make a person miss and run for a touch on that kind of stuff. But 
But when it comes to just running the football for, you know, really good chunks of yardage, I think a lot of running backs interchangeably can do that. They may not turn a 10-yard run into a 50-yard run by, you know, blowing the top off a player, making someone miss and running for a touchdown. But I think a lot of runners can run for really big chunks of yardage with good blocking and good play design. And so I just question how valuable really is Saquon Barkley to this Giants team. We'll cover that more in a second, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think James Robinson is a good, sneaky, good addition, um, assuming there's something crazy wrong with him. We have no idea why the Patriots would sign him in March, then very quickly cut him, and now he's on the Giants. I, I don't know what happened in New England for James Robinson, but it is uh, very weird. Joshua writes in. Joshua says, Hi, Zach. Hope you're having a great day. My question is, with all the success of quarterbacks such as Patrick Mahomes for you know, sitting a year, failures of Trey Lance sitting for a year and now two, and then successes like Trevor Lawrence starting day one and failures with Zach Wilson starting day one, in your opinion, what is the best method to quarterback development? To sit behind or get those real game reps? And what's the best answer the Colts should do with Anthony Richardson. Based on this answer, what should the Colts do with Anthony Richardson? So should you sit a quarterback? Like Patrick Mahomes sat for a long time, became starting quarterback, best quarterback in the NFL now. Trey Lance sat for a long time, done, done basically nothing. Jordan Love sat behind Aaron Rodgers. Now he's a starting quarterback in Green Bay. We'll see how he does. Um, Trevor Lawrence is a day one starter in Jacksonville. He's awesome. So was Zach Wilson. He's not awesome. So what do you do? What's the right way to approach a young quarterback? The reality is you have to acknowledge that every situation is unique. There is no one strategy. There is no right way to develop a quarterback. You have to build a relationship with that guy. The coach has to really understand what the player needs and, and build a, a strategy and a plan that works for that player. Um, for example, I don't think it makes any sense for Bryce Young to sit as the backup in Carolina. Or C.J. Stroud's an even better example. I think to have C.J. Stroud not play week one would be very silly. Why waste time having him sit behind Davis Mills, who I don't think is as good as him, and I think he's ready to start learning now. I'm not saying C.J. Stroud's going to play amazing week one, but I think he's ready where you're not going to hurt his development by putting him out there. He'll make some mistakes, he'll learn from some stuff, but I think he's going to be ready to play week one in Houston. Anthony Richardson is at a different point in his development. He's not ready, where I think by putting him out too early, you actually could probably hurt his development as a quarterback and hurt his confidence. That's really the problem. It's not his development, it's his confidence. Because all young quarterbacks are going to make mistakes and learn from it, but I, I think Anthony Richardson is farther away from succeeding as an NFL quarterback than C.J. Stroud is, even if long-term he might be more talented and better. So, man, I don't know. I, I think the best thing is to... Based on what I saw in college from Anthony Richardson, the lessons he, need, lessons he needs to learn, um, I think he should sit for a while and uh, learn behind Minshew. But it's an interesting interesting question. Like When you look at the Jets um, bringing in Zach Wilson, making him their day one starter in New York, I don't know that it was smart for the Jets to hire Robert Sala, a defensive head coach, who doesn't work with a quarterback, by the way, and then make their rookie quarterback, the number two overall pick, their week one starter. You know, I think Robert Sala is the right coach to coach Aaron Rodgers, for sure, a veteran quarterback who needs less of his attention and can do more on his own. But when you've got a young quarterback you're developing, and I, I tend to think because they're so limited, there's a limited number of coaches in the NFL. Your, your best coaches go become head coaches. So usually on a coaching staff, 
Your head coach is the very best coach on your staff. It's very rare that's not true. And when it's not true, the guy usually leaves. Like Brian Dable in Buffalo or Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. When a coach is really, really good and a star, he'll go leave to become a head coach. I want the best coach on my team, if I've got a young quarterback, working with my young quarterback. That's the problem with the Bears and Justin Fields. They got Matt Uberflus, a you know a defensive head coach. They've got um, you know the Jets brought in Robert Sala to be their head coach, a respectable guy who's awesome. This is even a problem I think in in Houston a little bit to some degree, where the better coach is on the defensive side of the football, not working closely with the quarterback. I hope you're meeting with them. I, I think they're still. Like, there's a lot that C.J. Stroud can learn from D'Amico Ryans. I hope they're meeting regularly and going through film and doing stuff. But at the end of the day, your head coach tends to be your best coach on your staff. And if you've got a defensive head coach with a young quarterback, your best coach is not the one working closely with your quarterback day-to-day, rep-to-rep. -to -rep. And that feels like a big problem to me. So, like, what, what if the Jets had hired Nick Sirianni? He went to Philadelphia, made Jalen Hurts into a star— and took Philly to a Super Bowl last year. Would Nick Sirianni have been able to help Zach Wilson develop into the quarterback he maybe should have been? Instead, they had Mike LaFleur, who is fired now, not the offensive coordinator in New York. The Jets' best coach on their staff was Robert Sala coaching the defense, and they had Mike LaFleur, who's not as good of a coach, coaching the quarterback and coaching the offense on the offensive side of the football. I just don't think it makes sense to have the guy who's your best coach, not work closely with your young quarterback. If you've got a young quarterback, you're trying to develop and teach the game. This is my two cents. Um, Josh writes in. Josh says, hey, Zach, if you were able to create a new name for the Washington Commanders, what would it be? And how quickly would you change the name or would you do neither and keep it the same? Uh, Josh Harris is the new owner of the team in Washington. I think he could change the name today. You'd make more money. You'd get a lot of revenue from selling more merchandise and people would be on board. Commanders is so damn boring. The Washington Commanders. What, what is this? It sounds like a no disrespect to the game Maximum Football, right? But it sounds like a made-up name for like a, a horrible fake video game team. You're like, what? what? The Commanders? It should have been the Red Tails. The, the Washington Red Tails would have been so cool. A, a name honoring the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, it, it would have been really awesome. And instead, we got the Commanders, a very safe, boring name. I would change it ASAP. If you make a change, you create new excitement. You show the things are literally changing both on the field and off the field. And you sell more merchandise. I think it would sell a lot. I'd buy a Red Tail shirt if I could. That's very cool. I'm not even a Washington football fan. I just think that's cool. And that leads me to Mark's question. Mark says, hello, Zach with a C. By the way, that's a good one. Zach with a C. Good intro right there. It's not like flashy, but it is like Zach with a C. That's, yeah, that works. Anyway, this isn't really a question, but a hot take I thought would be fun to react to. I think Washington should have stayed as a Washington football team. I think it's beautiful and hilarious and quirky, and I love everything about it. I, I agree, actually. I really, I don't think you can go back to it now. I mean, you could. Um, it reminds me of like in soccer when you've got like, you know, uh, you know, Miami FC, whatever, like uh, Casey. I, I, don't, I, I don't know anything about soccer. I really can't talk about the team names. But I know that often you've got like 
DC football club, right? I think it's DC FC is the name of the, the Washington DC football club, literally like the soccer team. And I think that's, that's cool. I think that really makes sense. Inter-Miami soccer club is, I think the name of, um, the, the Miami MLS team, right? I like when a team says we are, here's our city. This is what we are. We are a football team. I don't think you need a cheesy nickname. Why do you need to be the commanders? I, I think, in fact, commanders is so boring, it's worse than Washington football team. I preferred Washington football team. I thought that was kind of kind of cool, actually. I liked it. It was fine. And to me, the name change to commanders kind of felt like a annoying grab at selling merch and trying to make a little more money and revenue. I, I just, I don't know. I think Washington football team totally fit. And I, I, I was way more on board with that than commanders. So, Mark, it's kind of a hot take, but I, I totally agree with you. I, is anyone... In fact, right. If you're a Commanders fan, right in. Do you like the new name? I know it's it's been years now, but like, were you were you a supporter of that? Was that something you were excited about? Because I could not have been less. I could not have been more. Um, what's the word? Like, I didn't care. I was just like, ah, all right, they got a new name, and it, that's the name. It wasn't like what a great name. It was more like, yeah, Commanders. That's the name. Not exciting. Just boring as all get out. Um. <clears throat> Bryant writes in. Bryant says this. Hey, Zach's eyeballs. Longtime listener, but this is my first time writing in. Welcome back, Bryant. Hell yeah, dude. Welcome. Thanks for writing in. Bryant says, for all your new listeners, you can you take a few minutes to explain why Ask Zach is your favorite part of the show? What have you learned from it, and why? what are some of your highlights? Much love, Bryant. So we're in the middle of Ask Zach right now. We're answering Patreon questions. I call that Ask Zach. Um, I love... Love, love answering questions from Patreon. Um, hey, I think it's fun to interact with the audience. And I've built a lot of personal relationships with people through Patreon, people that message me all the time. We talk back and forth. They share ideas. It's really fun. It's a fun way to interact with the audience and um, ask Zach and reading people's questions and having these fun back and forth. It, it feels like we're building a community. I, I really, really, truly like that. I like having a, a feeling of community here with Strong Opinion Sports. I really love it. And it's my, that's like my favorite thing here. Like when I did my road trip around the country, I met up with lots of people who supported the show through Patreon and they would send me a message. Hey, you want to get a drink? You want to do this? You want to do that? Want to get pizza? Want to get whatever? I mean, shout out to Steven and Slow. He showed me this amazing pizza place that had like really good tater tots in San Luis Obispo. Uh, Sanders in Arizona. A guy who I, I loved it. We I went to a Super Bowl party. Him and me and his friends hung out. It was amazing. And like, that kind of stuff is so cool. And, and reading Patreon questions is the best example of that, building a community here. And I, I think it's awesome. And as far as highlights and my favorite things, I love when people come up with like a really interesting way to address me, whether it's like Zach with a C or I don't even know. I just, I love when people have creativity with how they write in. I think it's really fun. And um, all the, the crazy intros with how they address me is like really, really cool. I'm trying to think of another one that is interesting. Um this when people, it's the, the intro to the question. Hey, Zach, blah, 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 blah. My question is, but the blah, 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 blah part, that middle part, the way they start it, it, it often can be really creative and fun if people have the, the gumption to do that. And I, I love that stuff. It's so fun. And then my true favorite thing is that, you know, the best questions I think are when people make me think about stuff I never would have thought about on my own, whether that's them challenging me or making me consider a new thought or coming up with really fun, cool hypotheticals. I love hypotheticals. I love living in dream world and thinking about if you could do this, 
What would you do? And then I, I get sent off into this other place that like, it's never going to happen. It's never possible. I mean, like the question we did to start Ask Zach today, right? This guy says, build your dream coaching staff. We're never going to see a world where Bill Belichick isn't the head coach and the, and the general manager running his own team, right? It's not ever going to happen. But I'm telling you what, if you could get Andy Reid running the offense, Bill Belichick running the defense, and Pete Carroll running the whole team, <laughs> it would be the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. That's a fun hypothetical that I love, love, love. So that's my point, man. I, I just think that when people can come up with stuff that my brain will never think of on my own, that's like, that's the value of, of Ask Zach, quite frankly, honestly, is getting this, this pool of ideas and sharing all the resources and coming up with interesting stuff to talk about and think about in the sports world. That's why I love Zach, you know, Ask Zach, this segment of the show, answering questions on Patreon. Um, it's just awesome. So Brian, I hope I answered your question. I think, I hope the audience appreciates hearing that. I love your write-ins. Like, it's so fun for me. Um, and it's, uh, I truly think it's something that makes this show way, way better. All right. Justin writes in, Justin says, what's good, Zach? I've recently been watching quarterback on Netflix and it got me into thinking, what if this show was around for other NFL eras? I think it would be awesome to see this perspective with quarterbacks such as Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and maybe a wild card, someone like Johnny Manziel. So I ask you this, if you could choose three quarterbacks from any era to be in the show like this, who would you choose? Who would I choose from any era to be highlighted like this show quarterback? I actually came up with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So I didn't stick to three. I just kept going. I was like, this is so fun to me. Um, first of all, what if we had a camera following Tony Romo? the year he got hurt and lost his job to Dak Prescott. And then there's that moment where Dak Prescott is winning and doing well. Tony Romo's healthy. They're going into the playoffs. And do you go back to Tony Romo or do you stay with Dak Prescott? And remember that time when Tony Romo led like literally one drive at the end of a game at the end of the year and very easily led Dallas down the field for a touchdown. And you're like, guys, Tony Romo's the best quarterback here. If Dallas wants to win a Super Bowl they're going to go with Tony Romo, and they didn't. They started Dak Prescott in the playoffs. They lost and were out of the playoffs. And you're like, I will, that will always be the greatest what-if in NFL history to me. Because Tony Romo could never stay healthy, but I think he was a really great quarterback. And in this weird way, Tony Romo was done a solid by getting hurt because he was able to sit out a lot of the year, get fully healthy, and he, he really struggled to finish a full season, but Tony Romo was such a good dang quarterback. And I will always wonder the rest of my life would Dallas have won a Super Bowl if they'd gone with Tony Romo instead of a young back Prescott they sacrificed their immediate future and ability to win a Super Bowl potentially and and did not start the better quarterback in order to build their for their future and have a long-term quarterback and it it almost makes me wonder like is Jerry Jones trying to win a Super Bowl or sell a lot of jerseys and have a really successful business that makes a lot of money because the Cowboys make a ton of money. And every year there's some argument where you're like, ah, oh, we're close. And Jerry Jones can say, we're trying to win a Super Bowl, guys. But it makes me wonder after a while, you're like, are you? Are you trying to win a Super Bowl or are you trying to make a lot of money and have a successful business? And um, that's that moment. The rest of my life, I always wonder, like, could Tony Romo have won a Super Bowl? I think he could have with that, with that loaded roster that Dallas had that year. Mm. I'll always wonder, man. Another, another one I'd love to see, if we could have followed Kurt Warner 
when he became the quarterback in Arizona. Matt Leinart wasn't playing great. Kurt Warner comes in, does so well in Arizona. They end up going to a Super Bowl in time. Like, I, you know, I, I just would have loved to follow Kurt Warner closely when he made a resurgence of his career in Arizona. How about following Dan Marino? Dan Marino threw 48 touchdown passes in 1984. It was a run-first NFL system. Quarterbacks are getting leveled. There's no rules protecting the quarterback, basically. And that record, 48 touchdown passes, the most ever thrown in NFL history in one season, stood for years into the early 2000s, man, until the NFL totally changed and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady broke it. I think Mahomes has broken it now, too. But that record got broken in an era of different NFL football, right? When the league was throwing the ball more than ever and totally different. The fact that Kurt Warner, sorry, that Dan Marino threw 48 touchdown passes in the 80s, the early 80s, 1984, by the way, his second year in the NFL, unbelievable. We'll never see. I just think he was the most out-of-time quarterback in his entire life. And uh, man, I, I would love to have followed him and seen behind the scenes of that. Another one, I think people don't know about this at all. Um, in 1993, Phil Sims was this quarterback. He's 38 years old. Phil Sims, the guy who was a broadcaster, said a lot of dumb stuff and no one really likes. Um, he had this amazing year. At 38 years old, maybe the best year of his career. And I, I just think that would have been so interesting to follow. An aging Phil Sims, basically, in his last hurrah, playing his best football of his life. And doing really well. It would have been so cool to follow that storyline. I would have loved to see that, man. It just, it's like, ah. And the fact that a lot of people don't even know about how good he was at the end of his career. People don't even appreciate what Phil Sims did towards the end of the early 90s. Like, what his career was. And, and that 93 season, man, oh, Phil Sims is amazing. I wasn't even alive when that happened. And I, I researched it and was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And I learned about it. I went down a whole rabbit hole one night. That's the stuff I do in my free time, by the way. I get... You know, like two nights ago, I ended up watching 9-11 videos for like three hours, but that's not a normal night. Usually when I go down a rabbit hole on the internet, it involves some kind of quarterback from the past, and I just get deep in the weeds trying to understand how the game changed, where they came from, what happened, learning their story. It's so fun to me. I love that stuff. Reading like old newspaper archive stuff from literally the 80s. Like, I, lo I love that stuff, man. Look up, there's, what's it called? I can't remember. Internet archive, but no, it's not that. It's some there's some website that has old archived newspaper clippings, and I found a lot of them of Dan Marino from the '84 season. And you're like, this is just unbelievable to read what people were thinking in the moment about Dan Marino. And it's just like we forget that stuff. We forget the context. We look back in time and never remember what it was like in the moment. In the moment, Dan Marino was the man, dude. It was amazing. It was really amazing. Um. I'd love to have a, a documentary crew following Doug Williams, who, you know, first black quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl. Can you imagine how cool that would have been? I know they did a, a football life later back, you know, later years later, they did a, um, you know, the, the Super Bowl show and a football life about Doug Williams. But what if we could have had cameras with him in the moment, documenting what that journey was like at the time as he battled back and forth as a starter, not the starter. Jay Schrader was a starter for a while. That would have been so cool. I would have loved that. We, we never, we'll never get that. It's not possible. But if I could time travel, that's what I would do, man. Warren Moon is a quarterback I know very little about. Uh, Warren Moon, you realize Warren Moon didn't start his NFL career until he was 28 years old. Warren Moon was revolutionary, incredible. He played until he was 44 years old. You know, a, a I, I think I could say this, a, a black quarterback in a time, and it was 
a racially charged time that was difficult, I think. for I, I'd love to see behind the scenes of the journey of Warren Moon um, as a black quarterback in a, in a world that was still very apprehensive to to black quarterbacks. Very sad that that was the reality, but that was the reality back in the day. I mean, even when Lamar Jackson was coming out, people were like, I don't know, guys, he's a running back. Like, I mean, I, I think I even did that. Um, so there was a, mine wasn't racially charged. I don't, I really hope not. Um, but my point is that that would be such an interesting, I would love to like sit down with Warren Moon in the time it was happening and like see the world from his perspective and his family's perspective, what it's like to be Warren Moon in that time period would be amazing. And uh, that's another one that would have been so fascinating to watch. And I have such admiration for Warren Moon, man. Like, you ever watch his highlights? That dude had a different level arm. Like, he, talk about quarterbacks out of their time. I'd love to watch Warren Moon play in today's NFL. Like, his talent level with the, and again, he played till he was 44. <laughs> what? In in the nineties, I don't know. It's just I guess he played till two thousand. I think was his last year. Um, it's incredible, man. Then the other one that would be if I could have a camera f- crew following one player mic'd up. I don't think the technology was even possible, right? To have microphones on players in games and stuff. But man, if we could take a Netflix crew literally into the past through a time travel device and go follow Roger Staubach, um. He, he entered the NFL at 27 years old after serving as an officer in the Navy. He went on to win a Super Bowl, became the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Roger Staubach was just, like, the man. And and I'd love to, like, see do – you, do you know how cool it would have been to, like, follow him and understand what it's like to go from, like, a ship in the Navy to the NFL the next year from 26 to 27? In the span of a year, go from a boat to the NFL, and you're now – you're an amazing quarterback. Like, I just – Oh, what a journey. I would have loved, loved, loved to see that from up close and get to follow that. And again, you can cover this stuff in documentaries and go back in time and interview people and hear their perspective on what happened 20 years ago. But it's different when you can document what happens in the moment. There's nothing like that, you know, because your your hindsight changes things and your memory is pretty unreliable, honestly. Um, and... Uh, if we could go back in time, I mean, there's so many great stories you could cover that are just unbelievable in the NFL. And, man, I uh, I'll, I'll always wish we could do that. It, it just... That's uh, so why I love this, right? I, I love these hypotheticals, man. It really gets me excited, and it's so interesting to me. Um, Davis writes in, Davis says, Because Zach is back! Bro, you got it. This is like the second time now. You got a better intro than that. I believe in you, but come on, man. He says, all right. Sorry, couldn't think of another pun, <laughs> a better pun. Anywho, is that even a pun? Is, all right, because Zach is back, is that a pun? I love you, Davis. Uh, Davis sent me these headphones. These headphones I wear on the show, if you're listening and if you're watching on YouTube, these gray headphones that are amazing, these Sony headphones, he mailed them to me like a year and a half ago when I the first time I was in Hawaii, and he gave me these great headphones. So I... I've used these loyally, and and they're my trusty headphones, and I wear them because Davis sent them to me once a long time ago. So, Davis, you're the man. Anyway, Davis says, I am aboard and ready for the Anthony Richardson train to take off. I just love how the carousel is ending after some gruesome years. However, Anthony Richardson is raw, and I acknowledge it. I acknowledge that, and I fully support seeing him sit behind Gardner Minshew. The Colts have signed Gardner to a one-year contract. Do you think that's long enough for Anthony Richardson to develop, or should we have signed Gardner and his hair for a year or two longer? 
Uh, I would have loved to see Gardner sign for longer simply because I love Gardner and I want to see him make money and be in the NFL. Um, and even if he's the backup, he's a very capable backup and it couldn't hurt to have him around. But um, honestly, if Anthony Richardson isn't ready to play next year, you could you could always sign Gardner Minshew for longer. I don't see him going anywhere. There's not going to be high demand for Gardner Minshew, I don't think. Um, but the reality is if Anthony Richardson is even close to being ready next year, you got to play him. At some point, he's going to have seen enough. I think he needs a year in the NFL to see defenses and watch how the process works. And it, it's just, it's a more complex. Like the stuff he ran in, in Florida was a little more simple. And also he struggled at times with some, some reading some stuff and seeing defenders. And I think him sitting behind Gardner for a year, he's just not, a, Bryce Young is just so much farther when it comes to football knowledge. So is CJ Stroud. Um, I'm not confident in Anthony Richardson's ability right now to identify coverages and catch a snap and then see where the safeties go. And I'm afraid that disguises and playing Belichick stuff like that would like really, really, like really hurt his confidence. And so I want Anthony Richardson to sit behind Gardner Minshew for a year and watch and watch the process, watch how the reads are developed and watch what's happening and just get a year seeing NFL defenses up close and watching them really, really close and just diving all in and having lots of free time to just watch a ton of film and follow Gardner Minshew really closely. But after a year of being around the NFL and seeing how it works, even if he's not quite ready to be a starter and do a, play at a high level, he'll be close enough where you, you put him out there and let him learn as he goes and kind of have trial by fire and learn on the job. Um, I don't imagine Anthony Richardson being a backup next year. I would be shocked by that. Uh, in fact, frankly, the Colts are probably going to start him like week 13 or something. Um, I, I, I'm advocating for them sitting him as long as they can. Just, But at some point, once you realize you're not going to win, and once you're comfortable that Anthony Richardson knows the offense, has a, a decent idea what's going on, and um, has been following. I mean, like I said, when you watch Gardner Minshew play, if you're Anthony Richardson, on week to week, you're, you're seeing him run the offense you're going to be running, and you're able to break down his decision-making process, you're going to learn how it works pretty quickly. And so by week 13, he might be ready. The season will probably be lost. The Colts will be bad and have nothing to play for. And at that point, you see what the young guy can do. Um, if, if he's really not ready, I think you sit him until next year. But I think there's going to be a point of, of no return this year where you're like, hey, it's, it's time to play the young guy. We're not winning. Gardner is pretty average to not great. And, uh, yeah, unless Minshew's amazing, which I don't think they're going to be, and unless they're in the, a playoff hunt, which I don't th- think they're going to be, I think at some point you're going to see Anthony Richardson play even this year. And uh, that makes sense to me. But also, if he doesn't play at all this year, don't panic. Like, I, I don't see any... There's no hurry, hopefully, with Anthony Richardson in the Colts, but there's going to be a point where he's seen everything he needs to see. He understands how it's working week to week and the rhythm, and you might make mistakes, we got to put him out there. You just don't want to put him out too early and ruin his confidence. That's my big fear with Anthony Richardson. Okay, Brandon writes in, he says, Aloha, Zackenheimer. I have a question today. Do you plan on doing a win-loss prediction for each team before the season starts? What are your thoughts on the all-new uniforms and uniform throwbacks that's been introduced this year? Much love. I already talked about that earlier. I love the Titans throwbacks. Um, But Brandon, I want to address your question. Again, we're not doing a show this week, Thursday and Friday. I am going to take that time. I, I worked a lot on predictions this weekend. This past weekend, you know, yesterday and the day before, uh, it's Monday now. And I've just realized as I make the show, it, it cuts into the time I use to do that. And doing predictions just takes so much preparation and research time. And so I'm going to take 
uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to, to just work five days in a row, really hammering it out, get those predictions ready for next Monday. And so no show Thursday, Friday this week, but it's going to pay dividends when come Monday we've got predictions ready and it's going to be, I think, really awesome. So, um, Brandon, I hope that answers your question. I'm aiming for next week on Monday and uh, I'll keep you updated. Again, unless something crazy happens. If there's like some breaking news in the NFL that we have to cover, I'll do a show on Friday. Uh, anyway, last question of the day. Parmesan cheese writes in Parmesan. His name is Sean Parmesan. Parmesan cheese. I love that. Um, see, that's great. That's a great name right there. That's really fun. Better than like Josh. Come on, Josh. You could have you could have come up with some kind of punny Josh name, but you didn't. You just named yourself Josh. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm making funny. I don't really care. Um, Parmesan cheese says, "Hi there, Zach. I'm a lo- lifelong Giants fan." And in regards to Saquon Barkley, I seem to be one of the few fans who say we don't necessarily need him, but we could definitely, we, but we would definitely love to have him. Especially now that we signed James Robinson, who had a thousand yard rookie year and has played quality football, and we still have Matt Breida and drafted a running back. I see lots of fans saying he's the difference maker uh, between an embarrassing losing year and us making the playoffs again. When I say that relies more on the next step in Daniel Jones' development and defense continuing to play at a high level, what say you? Yeah, what's more valuable to the Giants winning? Saquon Barkley or their quarterback? It's their quarterback, uh, undoubtedly. Um, I really don't believe that Saquon Barkley is a difference between an embarrassing, horrible year and the playoffs. Like, no, it's it's Daniel Jones, man. He's got to keep developing. It's a quarterback-driven league. Um I said it earlier in the show, but the running game is much more dependent on scheme and blocking. He's a home run hitter. Like, he can take a 15-yard run and turn it into a 50-yard run. But James Robinson can run for big runs, too. And maybe not 50-yard runs, maybe not break away, make a bunch of people miss. But if the offensive line is blocking at a high level, got big gaps, I mean, a guy like James Robinson can do very, very well. And also, a running back can't do it by himself. A running game isn't enough. Like, the NFL is a throw-to-win league. And it simply is that a good running game without a quarterback is worthless. So the quarterback, part of why they're paid so much more money in the NFL is because they're more valuable. And I would I would honestly argue it's possible your offensive line is more valuable than your running back too. If I had, in fact, it is. If I had, if I'm a decision maker in the NFL, I would invest all my money in the quarterback, offensive line, and receivers, and just pay running backs nothing because you got a limited money. You got you got a small, a limited amount of money you can spend. I'd rather pay more money on my offensive line and have better blocking for my quarterback and my running back and then put a running back in there who... Tyler Algier was... His salary cap hit was less than $800,000 last year. He ran for 1,000 yards. You can pay a running back nothing and get a lot of yards out of them with good blocking up front and good play design. So, man, I don't know. How valuable is Saquon Barkley? I guess we'll find out. It's going to be really interesting. If he doesn't play week one, they play the Dallas Cowboys, I believe. Like... We'll, we'll see, man, because that's a good defense. So the really good front seven. Like, the Cowboys' front seven on defense is no joke. They stop the run really well. They get after the quarterback. And uh, I would actually prefer to watch that game without Saquon Barkley because we would really get a good idea of how important Saquon Barkley is, right? If the Giants play Dallas and beat the snot out of them without Saquon Barkley, you'll go, they're not paying him anything. <laughs> you know, it'd be really interesting. So... Uh, but but it could go the other way. It could be that they play horrible and lose really badly because they don't have a running game. I mean, it, it would be so interesting to see the Giants without Saquon week one and then get him week two. Like, I don't want to see Saquon hold out for very long. I think it hurts him financially horribly. 
but miss one game and just, I, I don't know, man, it'd be so interesting. I, I, oh, I think the Saquon Barkley storyline is going to be just interesting. I don't, I don't know what to expect, but it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. I think what's going to happen probably is just come back for training camp and say, I'm going to make $10.9 million, $10.09 million this year and uh, take the money and run literally. Um, but oh, we'll see. Guys, that's all I have today. I love you. Happy Monday. I appreciate you. And um, I don't know. Does anyone notice the, the curtains behind me look better, in my opinion? I, I worked really hard this weekend. All I did this weekend was I played a little bit of Fortnite with my friends. I mostly prepared the uh, predictions for next Monday. And then I spent like seven hours hanging, rehanging, ironing, and then steaming curtains, trying to make the curtains behind me look better. I think they look better. And I please appreciate the effort I put into it. I'm begging you. I'm a desperate man who wants attention and I want to be acknowledged for my hard work. <sighs> Anyways, guys, um, sorry. Uh, no, it's just fine. My personality is funny. I don't know. Uh, whatever. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Oh, um, I should say this. It's too late now, I bet. But <laughs> I probably should do it earlier in the show. I have another podcast called Zach Schaumler Talking that I really like making that I think is really good. That is just me talking about anything but sports and uh comes out once a week um i've done a couple episodes recently i think it's really good if you like me talking about stuff go listen to me talk about other stuff on zach Schaumler talking it is not currently on itunes because i had a problem with the host provider of the podcast there's only five episodes available right now on podcast land because you can actually listen to me talk about it on Zach Schaumler Talking if you're really curious. But it's on YouTube, Zach Schaumler Talking, the YouTube channel. There's 42 episodes out. The most recent one came out this morning. I love you. Appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Listen to Zach Schaumler Talking. <laughs> and uh, take care. Bam, bam, bam. We are.